Hello and welcome to Lessons My Patients Taught Me. This is Dr. Ellie Davidson, family doctor, recording from Starting to Get Chilly, Akron, Ohio. In this podcast, we talk about lessons that I've learned from my patients over my 38 years in practice. And today, I have truly a special guest with me, Dr. Michael Arnold. About eight years ago, Cleveland Clinic decided they needed to help solve the issue of the significant deficiency of family doctors in Northeastern Ohio. They also realized they really had no expertise in doing this. So so they partnered with the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine that had a satellite school location at South Point Hospital in a Cleveland suburb. They also needed residency partners, so they asked us at Akron General and our sister program at Lakewood, both family medicine residencies, to help them develop a six-year program, three years of medical school at OUHCOM and three years at one of these residencies. We named this program the Transformative Care Continuum, or TCC, and seven years ago, we began looking to recruit a group of eight pioneering students that could make this six-year commitment to family medicine and to Northeastern Ohio, four at our program and four at Lakewood. This is when Michael Arnold came into my life as one of these initial astronauts of this brand new program. Like the Apollo Brave Ones, these students, or what we came to call pre-residents, needed to have lots of important qualities besides smarts and dedication to the future of family medicine. They needed to have resilience, adaptability, drive, a knack for public relations, and a healthy sense of humor. Michael had all these qualities and impressed me from the moment I met him. Let me tell you a little bit more about Michael. Dr. Arnold grew up in Canton, Ohio. He did his undergrad at Brown and he received his D.O. at the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. He matriculated into residency with us at Cleveland Clinic Akron General Family Medicine Residency Program after receiving a match waiver, like all TCC students, in 2021. Michael has received many awards and honors for his scholarship, art, poetry, and his commitment to osteopathic education. I've had the privilege of being Michael's advisor throughout his six years in the TCC program, both through medical school and residency, so I feel I have a special closeness to him and an excitement as he prepares to graduate from this program and enter practice in July 2024. Michael, we've been talking about this for a while. It's a great joy to welcome you to the podcast. Hey, Dr. Davidson. Yeah, we have been talking about this for a while. I'm glad to be here. Well, you know what? Uh, it's great to have you. Uh, and I'd like to start off with uh, why did you choose family medicine and how did you choose the TCC program in particular? That's a great question. Um, for me, family medicine was just always the, that was just the doctor I saw myself being in the future. I just kind of saw myself being that community doctor that everyone can come to about a little bit of everything. Um, I also just like, I have a bunch of varied interests in medicine and I feel like family medicine is such a broad umbrella. Uh, see a bunch of different things, do some procedures. I like the variety. I like feeling like a Swiss army knife. You know, um, TCC program was also very interesting to me because um, with my, you know, aspirations of being a community doctor, um, I liked how this was community focused and community driven. Um, I like that we learned about social determinants of health. We learned about how money moves through the medical um, system. We learned about insurances. We learned about all these different things, nonprofits. We did a, a community project that I, that I was really um, grateful to do, and I learned so much working with um, yeah. I learned a lot working with a, a master's student at Kent. Um, it was just an amazing project, and it, and it was an amazing program, and I'm glad I was a part of it. Yeah, uh, TCC, it's been quite a journey. Uh, I'd be interested, again, it stands for Transformative Care Continuum. 
uh, initially started off as transformative care curriculum, and we realized that a curriculum really didn't describe it enough. It was, it was it even went beyond uh, learning into the rest of your life. Um, what what are some of the things that really worked for you in the TCC program? What I really liked about the TCC program, one, I liked that we formulated this really, really tight-knit group of eight people. Uh, we were all very close with each other, kind of all in the trenches together. Um, we learned a lot about each other in that, in that room and in the clinic, um, and all, like I said, on these various projects in the community and things like that. Um, I also really liked um, having clinical experience so early. Um, I don't know if you remember this or not, but the, my first day of medical school, um, I was in the clinic with you, and you were like, hey, do you want to take out this staple in this patient? And I was just like... I like just started medical school and I remember being super nervous and I was like, yeah, sure. And then I was just like, took the staple out. And I remember just like my heart was pounding and I was like very nervous about it. But yeah, so it was just that that clinical experience really did ground me because you, I feel like med students get kind of lost in the library. You're just in these dark rooms, just looking at a computer screen, clicking buttons all day, staring at books and computers and videos. And you just kind of get lost in, in the why as to why I'm doing this. I feel like coming to the clinic and working on quality improvement projects kind of reminded me uh, of why I was doing this, seeing patients, watching you guys interact with patients, learning um, in real time, I think it kind of put everything that I was learning in the books into context. It kind of made me realize that medicine was a language that I was learning how to speak. Um, and I think that's what I really liked about the TCC program. A couple things that I remember uh, about early in your uh, career in the first year, uh, and another thing I like about the TCC program is the enthusiasm that you all brought to this program. And everything was new and everything was exciting. And it's like, oh my God, an EKG. Uh, it's like, wow, you can actually read an EKG. Uh, and um, so I saw you uh, look at your first EKG, try to interpret that. Uh, and then I remember uh, the case where we had a patient that had um, a real bad problem with his ankle. And he had, I believe, an osteomyelitis of the ankle. Uh, and he was the first patient that you saw that we admitted to the hospital together. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, then about three weeks later, he was the first patient that you saw after the hospitalization. Uh, so that first kind of continuity. Uh, and to see you go through that experience of admitting a patient to the hospital, see them get better, see them come back to the office as a continuity, uh, and, and the kind of growth experience that was for you, for me, that was very inspiring as well. Absolutely. I remember when we did that and I saw my pa first patient go through the different phases of medicine and kind of get get sick, get well, um, and then be able to see them back in the outpatient clinic feeling better. I knew I was in the right place. I knew TCC was the right program for me. I knew this was the right residency for me. And I knew that family medicine was the right choice for me. Yeah. And it hasn't been easy. You know, <laughs> there's been a lot of challenges in your medical education. You had TCC, which shaves off the fourth year of medical school, uh, which uh, makes medical school a lot more challenging. you got to fit a lot into that third year. And then a pandemic on top of that where you lost a lot of your ability to uh, see patients directly. Um, talk about how you've coped through all that. Yeah, it definitely was a lot. I remember, you know, kind of going through TCC, even the first couple of years, 
Um, I know we talk about the third year a lot and how we, you know, squeeze a lot of things into it. But even the first couple of years were tough because um, my classmates that were not in TCC, they had 25 extra hours a week to study and to do things around the house and to sleep and all those things. And that 25 hours actually really does add up. So one of the mottos that me and the first class of TCC kind of had was, you know, do more with less. And we had less time, but we figured out how to study more efficiently and more effectively. Uh, I think it, un underneath all that pressure, it kind of pushes you to find these quick shortcuts to be as efficient as possible. Um, and I think that kind of pushed me in a lot of ways to learn better. Um, I had to kind of abandon the ways that I had learned in college that worked for me uh, and kind of adapt new ways and kind of get out of my comfort zone. And I really liked that part of TCC uh, was just being okay with unlearning, you know, learning how to unlearn was really helpful. But two, like I said, a uh, really thing that was really big about TCC um, was community. Um, I establish a really, really close community with my class, especially the people here um, at Akron, and that was really, really big. You know, getting through it with them uh, made this a lot easier. Uh, I have close friends and family that I was also be able to kind of confide in um, and talk to, and just kind of hang out with and just remind myself that, you know, why I'm doing this, uh, who I'm doing this for, and just kind of like, it was like a nice reset, right? It was just to to do things that, I'm, that I enjoy, working out, watching movies, hanging out with friends and family. I made those things a priority, even though that sometimes I felt guilty doing those things because I was like, man, I should be studying, I should be doing something. But uh, I kind of made it a priority to do those things, keep my mental health afloat as best as I could uh, with all of the demands of TCC and medical school. And like you said, all of the, the world stuff too, like COVID and all those things, it was, it was very, very hard. There was times where you could feel, you know, the mental health dip and you really had to kind of reset, you know, kind of take a step back and kind of reevaluate what you were doing and kind of make changes right as needed um to kind of get through those those tough times the hardest thing i saw in covid was the disconnect because we didn't have teaching in person anymore what we call didactics uh that was over uh, zoom or over uh, microsoft teams and it was really difficult to connect with uh, the classes with the residents directly uh, and, and so much is lost when you have that kind of long-distance learning. Uh, you lose a lot of that body language. You lose a lot of that facial expression. You, you can do a lot of multitasking uh, without getting caught. And so, you know, there's a lot of stuff you have to do. Yeah. And so you're going to end up, you know, not the human uh, nature is that you're going to try to multitask if you can. Um, and so uh, I don't know that we've ever completely got it back, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're still struggling to... You know, to make up for that uh, kind of stuff that we lost uh, through the pandemic. And, you know, we're working on trying to get back in person, uh, but it's not fully there yet. What do you think? I completely agree. Um, I think, you know, the world pre-COVID is, is probably gone, right? I think we have to adapt to, world, to the world after COVID, where people, you know, are most likely going to start wearing masks during the flu season. And people are, you know, less... Uh, less likely to give you hugs and handshakes and things like that. Uh, where the world is a little bit more distant now. Um, and I think that's something that uh, we have to kind of adjust to and adapt to and figure out how we can do those things that we enjoy uh, safely. Um, I, you know, the curriculum at OU for medical school is a lot of in-person, a lot of FaceTime. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like I'm just so 
peopled out, right? I'm just so, I can't talk to people anymore. I'm just, I just needed a break, right? But then I, then COVID happened and I realized like how much uh, a lot of that in-person, you know, interaction was really, really good for me. And like, we, we claim to not be social creatures and we claim to be introverts and all those things. But when you get forced, uh, forced separation from people, it does kind of put things into perspective, how important that in-person social interaction is to, to mental health and to growth and to learning. Um, and I do think this is, uh, we're trying to integrate now with you know, telephone medicine and virtual medicine and Zoom medicine. And I, I think we're trying to, it's a lot of growing pains, right? And I think we're also still dealing with a lot of grief and a lot of um, mental health kind of like anxiety, depression. That's still up pretty high. And I think the world is kind of still coping and growing outside of the pandemic. And it's been hard. I think one of the lessons of COVID that we learned that is going to stay with us is the benefit of distance medicine, telephone visits, virtual visits. There is a lot of medicine you can do that way that's more convenient for the patient, um, that is, um, you know, very effective. Uh, a lot of doctors don't like it uh, because there is something lost, but uh, there is something gained as well uh, for the patients that have trouble getting in, and it's, it's a lot more convenient for them. Uh, so it's a trade-off, mm-hmm. and, uh, and there are patients where it actually works a lot better uh, for them, and, and I think we have to still have it available for them. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Uh, there's a lot of patients who we were having a lot of issues getting into the office for because they, you know, for lack of transportation, lack of mobility, and now we have a lot more touch points with them because we're able to call them on the phone uh, or reach out to them on Zoom, and I think it's been helpful for a lot of people. Great. So uh, I'm curious to see, I know you're pretty early in your career. What do you think are some of the lessons that you've learned from your work with patients so far? What what sticks out to you? I've learned so many lessons from my patients. It's actually, uh, I would say learning medicine and like learning how to practice medicine is a very, very humbling experience. Um, So that too, just learning how to be humbled and uh, kind of learning how to once again unlearn, right? And um, but really, uh, meeting patients where they are, where they are, is really big for me. It's one thing that I had to really adjust to because you come out of medical school and you're like, I want to do this, 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 because it's all the gold standard, and, and got to get people on guideline therapy and all these things. But the best treatment plan is a plan that a patient will stick to. Um, and I, I felt like when I went into the room, I was like, I was like, I wanted to start this medication, and I wanted to do this dose, and I wanted, and I had a plan, and I had an agenda, and I go into the room, and the patient was like, I. I don't want anything to do with your plan or your agenda. And that was really learning how to kind of have that shared decision making, that back and forth and kind of getting patients to buy in, um, kind of seeing what they're comfortable with, what they're not comfortable with and asking, being curious. Why are you not comfortable with that plan? Why do you not want to start this medication? Why do you not want to, um, why are you unable to? Why are you not able to get to a gym? Are you not able to um, walk around your neighborhood? Things like that. Just kind of learning how to be curious, um, I definitely learned that from them too, and I, I, I think kind of going back to the humbling thing is like intellectual humility. Um, while while I'm learning the language of medicine, I'm learning how to use it. I'm learning how to practice it. Um, I have like a developing expertise in medicine, but patients are experts in their own bodies. Absolutely. And I really yeah. that I've learned so much by just listening to patients, and they're like, I feel like I've even started being like, what do you think this is? Because uh, you know I've been surprised about how many times that they've been exactly right. Um, just being like, they're like, I think it's this because, and they'll kind of explain it in their, in their words, in their way. And I'm like, I think that has value. Let's, let's, let's run, let's work it up. Let's see how it goes. And then I've, I've been surprised how many times that patients know what's going on with their bodies. So like I said, intellectual humility and meeting patients where they are. And wives are 
uh, experts in their husbands, and <laughs> yes. hu- husbands are experts in their wives. <laughs> yes, you know, and they, you know, the family members can give you a lot of information that's useful as well. So many, yeah. Uh, I would say that I, I'm actually worried about how many, like how few we would see husbands in the office if it wasn't for wives. Like wives are pushing husbands to come. I'm, I'd be worried they'd never come in if wives weren't pushing them. Yeah, I just had a patient the other day uh, that thanked me for. Uh, diagnosing his heart disease, but it really is his wife who brought it up to begin with. You know, what, what's this chest pain that my husband is having? And it's kind of like heartburn when he goes up the hill. Uh, and that started him off, and he eventually having a triple bypass. And he Ooh. was very thankful to both me and his wife uh, that uh, he went through the procedure. Um, so those are all great lessons. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, also, you know, the students cite you reliably as a resident that they really enjoy working with. And I wonder what are some of the ways that you engage students and help them feel so comfortable? Yeah, uh, that's also a really good question. I think that's really one of the hard things to do in medicine because there is this like kind of kind of cultural hierarchy and all these things that you kind of have to work around uh, to make people feel comfortable with you. Um, I remember when I was a medical student, and there was some things that I would watch residents do that I was like, I really like that. And I would pick up on that and I try to learn that skill. And there were some things that residents would do that I was like, I really do not like that, right? Um, so I tried to kind of pick up little lessons here and there from different people and become like an amalgam of all of those things that I liked. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing for me, um, what I wanted when I was a medical student was for people to be more like down to earth. Um, so that's what I try to do. I try to be uh, open with them. I try to be vulnerable. I try to be honest. If they ask me a question, I try to tell them the truth as best as I know it, right? I don't try to sugarcoat it or try to, like, talk down to them or anything like that. Like, I'm the only difference between me and them is that I started medical school before they did. That's it, you know what I'm saying? And kind of talking to them as that way, like, this is a colleague. Whether or not I'm farther in the journey than, than they are, that's still my colleague. And I can still learn things from them. So I like to be open. I like to ask questions. I like to be curious. And really, I, I really, really like to be, like, down to earth and vulnerable with them. And I think that creates a space where they feel safe. And that's really my goal. Yeah, your uh, direct supervisor, the person that you're learning from, uh, make, can make such a difference in your rotation. It can make it or break it for you. Uh, I don't know if you found that uh, to be the case, uh, but I did in medical school. Uh, I had some teachers that were incredible, some residents that I worked with when I when I was a medical student, and you know they saved me mm-hmm. uh, because some other ones <laughs> had made it so difficult. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Uh, and uh, I really appreciated the good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so another thing that I've always appreciated about you, Michael, is that you you are very interested in construct, constructive feedback, both giving it and receiving it. You actually suggested a book to me on this, uh, which is called Thanks for the Feedback. Uh, so I'd be curious to know what are some suggestions that you have for people that may struggle with these, because a lot of people do struggle uh, with how to give feedback and how to receive feedback. Yeah, I think this is one of those things that's tough, because we're not taught this stuff, right? Um, we're not taught how to give feedback. We're not taught how to receive feedback. And I think the receiving part, I think, gets less focused in the conversation than I think it should. And I think that's why I really like that book called Thanks for the Feedback. And that's why I uh, kind of suggested it to you, because they really flipped the script for me. And I really, it really gave me a new perspective. But um, for me, uh, I really try to do a lot of self-reflection. That's another reason why I think I, um, I put it into my art. I put it into, like, when I read, when I watch movies and uh, do my poetry and stuff like that. Like, I try to do different ways of self-reflection. So I try to be self-aware. And, and a part of that is realizing that I have these huge blind spots, 
right, that I cannot see. Uh, but everyone else can see them, and I have to be open to that, right? If I want to learn, if I want to grow, um, I have to go into my uncom- uh, uncomfort zone, right? Uh, it might not be comfortable and it might be a little awkward and weird, but I have to kind of go go there with people because I will not, I will miss these things, right? And even people, this is one thing too that I've learned is like, even a person that I might not like or I might not get along with, or I think is not the right person to be giving me this feedback, like if a person that is like inefficient in office tells me that I should be more efficient in office, I feel like it's easy to just kind of like be like, no, who are you, like, why, why would you give me that feedback? No way. But instead of being defensive uh, and kind of shutting down and kind of putting that guard of, I had to practice to kind of just step back and take and just really just see the feedback in a different lens and kind of push it like, instead of seeing it in a way to like where it can trigger my my defenses and my ego and things like that I kind of had to sit back and can kind of just break it down right break it down into its smallest parts and be like why why did they say that is there things that I can be more efficient on and kind of really look at it and uh, give it the weight that it's due and really just kind of process it in a way away from my emotions and away from my ego that in a way that I think I've learned a lot of great uh, lessons from because like I said there's these things that like I think like I, I see myself this certain way and uh, people really do have great insights into your blind spots that you don't know so I'm always hungry for people to kind of point out point those things out to me so I can grow and learn and um, giving feedback is tough uh, I think that is also an art and I think that's also learned I think you have to just kind of uh, do a lot of reps um, for me, I think what I tell people is giving and receiving feedback is uncomfortable, but it's only uncomfortable for like five seconds, five to 10 seconds. <laughs> it is very uncomfortable. If you can push through that awkward five to 10 seconds and it become a very fruitful conversation. Um, and I think it's necessary, right? If people don't give good feedback or we give bad feedback or uh, like give feedback poorly, um, or we just kind of give kind of like you know, candy-coated feedback because we don't want to hurt people's feelings, we don't want to deal with conflict, we don't want to do any of those things, I think it's actually doing a disservice to learners because they're missing out on opportunities to learn. So because I want people to learn, I'm willing to kind of trudge through that awkward five to ten seconds to make sure that they get the best out of this rotation. Because like I said, I can see things that they can't, and I want to. I want them to know. I think that's such wise advice, and I got to finish that book. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it's kind of long. <laughs> I haven't got all the way through it. Uh, the other point I would make is kind of similar, which is that the people that annoy you, okay, uh, that you know, kind of, um, uh, kind of get to you, and seem to kind of hook into a, a part of yourself that you don't like about yourself, um, can really be your best teachers. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, and uh, instead of focusing on the thing about them that they're saying about you that's bothering you, if you could let them teach you, if you could let them, what they're saying, sink in and, and, and have that humbleness to, to, to get beyond into your, into your blind spot and say, you know, maybe they, you know, maybe I can learn something from what they're saying. Maybe that can, they can teach me something about myself and I can learn how to respond. Maybe they can teach me. Uh, humility. Maybe they can teach me patience. Maybe they can teach me, you know, how to be less defensive. And this is also something about difficult patients. Many, many difficult patients. You see them on your schedule and you shudder. Oh my God! I can't believe I got <laughs> both of them coming in this afternoon. And my two toughest patients. Yeah. You know. And uh, but if you if you learn to accept that. Uh, they they're going to teach you something about yourself. Absolutely. You know, then uh, it doesn't seem so hard. Yep. No matter what, everyone can teach you something.
you know and that was a that was a huge lesson that I learned through through my medical education was that I could no matter how good or bad I think the conversation went no matter what relationship I have with this person they have something that I can learn from I just got to sort through it and kind of put the time in yeah now you're getting close to being done here. Yeah. I can't believe it. I'm already, get, I'm already getting sad about it. <laughs> <laughs> it is very, very bittersweet. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're in our sixth year together, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know unbelievable in terms of uh, a kind of a commitment to uh, to family medicine, to um, to northeastern Ohio, uh, to uh, to this program, to me and and me to you. You know, it's a, it's a nice uh, relationship that we've had. I'm curious, uh, tell me a little bit about the kind of practice that you've had in mind after graduation and, and how you came to s- decide that. Yeah, that's that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. I think that's like kind of the next step for me. Um, so I have a kind of an interesting journey through medical education. I, I did TCC, but I also got a scholarship where... Um, now, you know, they gave me some money for medical school, and now I am, now I have three years where I work at underserved community, whether it's rural or urban, and I work at a federally qualified health center, which is like a safety net clinic, um, where people with, that are underinsured or have no insurance uh, or not great insurance uh, can just still come and get good care. Um, so I'm going to be doing that for the next three years. Uh, I want to stay in Northeast Ohio because Northeast Ohio has several FQHCs and they have several underserved areas that I would love to uh, work in, whether it's Akron or Canton or Cleveland. I want to stay in the area. This is home for me. So uh, I think that service will be great for me. But after that, uh, I think I have I had a lot of different uh, interests, uh, which is why I went into family medicine in the first place. But I would like to have just kind of a bread and butter kind of community kind of practice, right, where um, I, where people can come to me from, you know, cradle to grave, and I, I'm part of the community, I'm doing work in the community um, about things that I'm passionate about. Uh, one thing that I would like to kind of lean my practice towards a little bit is maybe LGBTQ health. Uh, I'm very interested in that kind of uh, practice, and I'm very interested in being there for people who kind of need it. You know, I feel like there's a need there, and it's an interest that I have, so I want to do something like that. Um, and you know, maybe down the line somewhere, I might consider a palliative kind of uh, fellowship. So we'll see. I would be lying if I did not admit that I was interested in kind of that palliative aspect of medicine, palliative and hospice. Something about that really, really uh, kind of pulls at me a little bit. But for family medicine, kind of bread and butter family medicine procedures, the here and there. Um, but maybe like a, like I said, a slant toward LGBTQ health is probably my immediate future. And then after that, maybe some palliative health. Yeah, I've been trying to get Michael to think of, about teaching uh, because he has such natural skill at it. And he's been kind of pushing back to say, you know, I, I've had a little bit, uh, I've had enough of this education thing for a while. Uh, but maybe one day. Yeah, I actually don't want to take it off the table. I would be lying if I said I didn't enjoy teaching. That uh, watching someone, watching that thing click in someone's head that they've been struggling with and, you know, teaching it to them in different ways, right? Where you try this aspect and maybe they didn't get it and you try it this way. And just kind of giving them different perspectives, different angles. And when it finally clicks for them, it's very, very rewarding. Um, I think, you know, me and medical education have had a bit of a tumultuous relationship for the past six <laughs> years. But uh, So I, I think I need a break for a second, but I, I don't want to kind of rule out ever coming back teaching. I might, and when I get my, you know, I think develop a little bit more of my expertise and get some more practice and get my feet wet, so to speak. I think I will feel more comfortable maybe being a community preceptor or something like that. All right. Well, we hope so because, uh, <laughs> you know, you will add a lot and, you know, whatever you do, 
uh, you're going to be great at it. And I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to sit down with me and share your perspective. It's it's a quite inspiring uh, uh, journey that you've uh, been on, and uh, I've been so grateful to be part of that journey. And uh, I'm very excited to see uh, where it takes you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Like I said, we've been talking about this for a while. I'm glad we were able to finally do it. Uh, like, and I do agree with you completely. I think over these six years, this could have easily been just like a, you know, just like a perfect, strictly professional relationship. But I really do feel like we've built a great bond, and I feel like I can come to you with anything. And I feel like you've created a safe space for me, and I think that's why our bond is so special. Um, I think on paper, it, it doesn't you you wouldn't expect us to be be as close as we are, but I, it really worked out. Um, and uh, I'm very, very um, happy that I came to this program and I was able to meet you and Dr. Christman and, you know, Akron General and, yeah, all gratitude. And like I said, it is definitely starting, the bittersweetness is definitely starting to sink in a little bit. All right, let's make the most of these next six months. Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, enjoy that. And uh, then we're going to just uh, push you out of the nest and you're going to fly. <laughs> That's the plan. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much, Michael. Of course. Thank you. I want to thank Dr. Michael Arnold again for sharing his insights with us. It was such a pleasure to hear his inspiring story and many of his um, amazing thoughts about his medical education and his interactions with patients. I don't know about you, but I just love these conversations. Last podcast was Dr. Al-Ali nearing the end of his career, and then Dr. Arnold at the very beginning of his career. The contrast to me is fascinating. I uh, hope you're enjoying it. I certainly am enjoying creating this content for you. Um, thank you so much for listening. Again, we're heard in over 40 countries now, uh, and I'm very grateful to all of you for listening. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback, so please reach out to me on Twitter at LDavidson1, on threads at LDavidson, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. And remember, stay healthy out there.